0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Staying Connected, a podcast where I talk to other people about their stories with Vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, or VEDS, which I also have, and I think everybody who listens to the show knows that I also have that. So welcome back, and Happy New Year. As part of the new year and trying to do things that maybe are a little bit different for me, um, a few of my friends have suggested multiple times that I tell my story on this podcast. And every time that I have done that, I have responded, or they have done that, I have responded with, no, this podcast is for other people to tell their stories. And my YouTube channel is where I tell my story. But I decided to do that. And so my friend Becca is here and she's offered to talk to me about my story with feds. And
1: so she's going to take over. Hi, I'm Becca. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to be interviewing Katie. So, Katie. We have known each other for a while now, yep. and we met three years ago, summer, yeah, of summer of 2016. And before I met you, I had heard about you from our group of friends, and the perception was that you were sick all the time. <laughs> or injured. <laughs> or injured, yeah. or bruised, or... Something. Something. There's usually always injury. Usually an injury. But yeah. there was always something, especially your neck. Yeah. Because I remember that being talked about all the time. Like, even when you moved to Washington, that it, it, when we would Skype each other, sometimes you would have to lay down because you were in so much pain.
0: Yeah. I had, like, a heating pad, an ice pack I would rotate with, and I would move my computer around, and I would stand sometimes, I would sit sometimes, I was, like, constantly moving around. Yeah. Because we were nerds, and we played D&D. Uh-huh. So I would Skype in for D and D from Washington to Florida, <laughs> uh-huh. and that was a
1: real concern. Sometimes I would be in too much pain. Yeah, and we would always ask you how you were feeling today, if you were up for it. Yeah, and I mean, we didn't know, and you didn't know. You, I think you had an idea. When did you? When did you think that you had beds? That's a that's a complicated
0: question. <laughs> so. I thought I had beds a couple of different times. The first time was in, I think it was 2013 or it was 2014. Mm -hmm. So in 2012, I was, had this weird thing on my arm called elastosis perforans serpigenosa. And what's that? (laughs) (laughs) That is a rare skin disorder where your body basically pushes out the elastic tissue, elastic fibers from underneath your skin, out of the skin, and it basically looks like ringworm or some kind of like, (laughs) your face right now is great. (laughs) It just looks like ringworm, and I had been struggling with it for a year and a half prior to that, um, and I thought it was ringworm, so it was like a a year of ringworm treatments, like that, antifungal creams? Right, antifungal creams, prescription strength antifungal creams. Doctor, please help me get this ringworm off my arm oh because my, my girlfriend does not like it. And that was the biggest, like it was on my arm and I lived in Florida and it was just out there all the time. And I couldn't stop myself from picking at it. I wanted it gone. Nothing would work. I tried cutting it off. I tried wart remover acid multiple times. It was burned a lot and it just kept coming back. And so finally, I saw a dermatologist, and it took two different biopsies to figure out that it was something called elastosis perforant serpogenosa. And how do you spell that? (laughs) I can spell it for you, but I'm not going to (laughs) because I don't think it's relevant. (laughs) Um, So, when I got the diagnosis of that from the dermatologist, which is in 2013, I guess that would have been 2013, Um, he said that I should go see a geneticist because that's something that is sometimes seen with people with Down syndrome or Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And I knew I didn't have Down syndrome. I figured I, I would know by that age whether or not I had Down syndrome. So I looked into types of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Like I went home and I just googled it I'm like, well I don't really fit the criteria for the hypermobile type or the classical type, but when I saw the vascular type And this was like several months after that appointment because I was just like, I don't have time for this. I don't have any leave time. I don't have paid sick time. Like I'm not going up to the Mayo Clinic and doing this Mm -hmm. um, because everything's fine. (laughs) So I uh, saw the vascular type and I noticed a lot of things that were similar to what I looked like. Mm-hmm. There was the thin translucent skin, there was acrogeria which is aging of the hands, like premature aging of the hands, which is something I was made fun of for when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. There were almond-shaped eyes, my thin nose was on there, and I was like, wow, that's something that my mom has commented on my whole life. So maybe I should see a geneticist, I'm not going to panic, and I didn't really know the significance of it at that time. Mm-hmm. I didn't really realize, like, artery ruptures and dissections and organ ruptures and shortened lifespan. Like, I hadn't really read too far into that. So I did get on a waiting list for geneticists, which I saw in 2014.
1: Okay.
0: And that geneticist, at that time, I talked to her about my concerns for the vascular type, and she told me that nobody has that type. You don't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. And she did, like, a whole workup for, like, it's called a Baiton scale, which is where you're... Joint hypermobility is assessed, Mm -hmm. and I didn't meet the criteria for any type of Ehlers-Danlos, she said.
1: Uh Uh-huh. So off
0: on my merry way, I went. (laughs) Um, So it wasn't until the beginning of 2017 that I figured it out that they had missed it.
1: Because you had moved to Washington, and how did your move to Washington play into finally figuring out your diagnosis? I
0: don't think it really did. I think it made it harder in some ways because I had all new doctors that didn't know me Mm -hmm. and that didn't want to test me. So I had had like spontaneous back to that neck pain, like that spontaneous severe neck pain that would show up like super severe out of nowhere and then take months to resolve and then would happen again. And everybody was telling me to be more careful. So I'm, like, staying up all night, making sure I'm sleeping correctly in the right position. I've got the right pillow. You know, like, every hour I'm waking up to check and make sure that I'm still sleeping in the right position. Like, just crazy things mm-hmm. that I was experiencing. And it was kind of hard on myself, too, because, like, what am I doing wrong? The whole time it's, like, why can't I just do everything right? I exercise. I eat healthy. Why is this happening to me? And it was very, very frustrating. So at the beginning of 2017, I was – it had happened again at the end of November. And I had just started a new job. I was in the shower one morning, and I reached for a shampoo bottle. And it was so severe, and it just kept getting worse. And I was like, well, I got to go to the doctor. <laughs> like, And they mm-hmm. didn't do anything. And they gave me some Tramadol, I think it was. Tramadol's for what? It's for pain. Okay, I think it's Tramadol – there's tramadol and there's toradol, and I always mix up the two. One of them is like a really high-strength non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug, like the same class of drugs as um, ibuprofen Okay. and Aleve, which okay. is a proxen. So really high-strength of those. Mm-hmm. But it just it took a while, and I had figured it out. After, sometime after that, it took a couple months, so mm-hmm. I was going to be getting an ultrasound for a workup for thoracic outlet syndrome, which mm-hmm. is a compression of the nerves and sometimes the artery in like your brachial plexus, which is, it goes in between basically like your collarbone, mm-hmm. like down here through your arm. Mm-hmm and that's, everything kind of compresses for a minute mm-hmm. so that it can move through that area. And so sometimes you get compression in there, and it can cause like sudden pain through your, through your arm. Whichever mm-hmm. arm is affected, it can cause neck pain too. So I was at lunch with my brother on a Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon, and I told him I was going to go see a vascular surgeon, and he made a joke. He's like, Oh they won't even have to do any tests because they can see all the veins in your body anyway. And it just stuck with me. Uh-huh. That day. So when I went home, I'm like, why is it that you can see the veins in my entire body? And it's something I'd asked multiple times when I was a kid. I asked somebody if there was too much iron in my blood. Like, just weird. Is my blood too strong? Is my blood too strong? <laughs> like, why am I bruising? Like, mm-hmm. why, you know, is my, why can't you see my veins? Mm-hmm. And nobody knew the answer. And they're like, no, too much iron is not, it's not a thing. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I think that's exactly how that doctor responded. No, it's not a thing. It's not a thing. No, you don't have vascular otter standard syndrome. Nobody has that. It's not a thing. Um, so I that, that night, I figured it out. I basically sat down and went through my entire medical history again. Like, I just big picture. And that's something that I tend to do in general, mm-hmm. is take a step back and look at the big picture of everything. Mm-hmm. And I was just, holy crap, I have this. So that's when you were convinced. That's when I was absolutely convinced, no doubt in my mind. The next morning when I went to work, I had a very, very hard time keeping it together because I knew in my heart that I had this thing. And I had found the life-limiting parts of it at this point, and Mm -hmm. I knew the significance of it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know if I was supposed to tell anybody or keep it to myself. Mm -hmm. But I fit every small criteria. There's like a minor diagnostic Criteria lists and like a bigger one, mm-hmm. major causes for concern and minor causes. Like, maybe if you have a lot of the things on this list, you should look into this. <laughs> and I had almost every single one on that. So I just knew.
1: And when was that?
0: That was in, that probably was February of 2017 or the okay. end of January. And it took three months after that to get somebody to send me a genetic test because I would go, to, I had new doctors. Mm-hmm. I was in Washington, I had new doctors, and the new doctor that I was seeing was, you know, I told him I went to him, I said, hey, you know, by the way, this minor thing that's going on, I think I have this crazy condition, and I need somebody to test me for it. (laughs) Can you do a pap smear, too? (laughs) And while you're at it, just do a pap smear. (laughs) It was just like, you know, it was just another thing I bring to my doctor. Yeah. And he, like, looked at me, I remember him looking at me and being like, <laughs> what? <laughs> he's like, Well, I've heard of Ehlers Danlos syndrome. Like, let me look at your mobility. And I was like, Okay, but I'm not that hypermobile everywhere. I really think it's the vascular type. Mm-hmm. And he actually knew what I was talking about. That's good. Which is so rare. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Yeah, I definitely think you have concerns for this. And then strung me along for over a month as I tried to get him to send, all I needed him to do was take blood work and send it to the University of Washington. Because they have a lab that will accept the blood.
1: Mm.
0: Otherwise, I was on a waiting list for over a year to see the geneticist in Washington for this. And when you first realize that you have this, being on a waiting list for over a year when you're having all this pain and you don't know why you're suffering and you know that your life is limited and you know that nobody can help you and you don't know what you're supposed to be doing and what you're not supposed to be doing is like, okay, great. like. I might die today, or end up in the hospital from sneezing too hard. Mm-hmm. But I won't get a true diagnosis for over a year. Yeah, which means I'm walking around without a medical or a bracelet, or without anybody knowing what I have or believing what I have for over a year. I can't do that.
1: Like a walking time bomb.
0: A walking time bomb that doesn't have a warning label. <laughs>
1: It just looks like a
0: black it's just like a magic just, ball yeah it's like a surprise. this thing might blow up yeah that's what I felt like yeah so I ordered my own medical or bracelet and everything because I knew mm-hmm. that I had it mm-hmm. and it just took ended up having to call the geneticist back in Florida that told me I didn't have it and begging them to pull my file mm-hmm. and look and then they sent me a genetic test we're like you know what we're going we're going to send you one. It's just a saliva kit. And after all of that, I just remember being so frustrated that it was just a saliva kit and nobody could just send me a spit tube. <laughs> like, what's the what's the big deal? Just mm-hmm. send me a spit tube. So I'm very pro-genetic testing for vets. Mm-hmm. And I know that that shows.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's so important. It's important to know. Yeah. It's important to know if you have this so that you can... Adjust your lifestyle, right, for that, because I know that you've adjusted your lifestyle quite a bit. A little bit, yeah.
0: One of the crazy things is that some of the, some of the things that I'd always done,
1: mm-hmm.
0: popped up as just like things I, like recommendations. Yeah, it was like, for instance, I have I've had a phobia, basically, of pregnancy my entire life. Mm-hmm. I felt it was unnatural <laughs> to have something growing in me. Uh huh. And I was like, I, you know, I briefly thought about whether or not that means, like, I don't align with the gender that I am or something, um, but that really wasn't it. Mm-hmm. That really wasn't it at all. It just felt unnatural mm-hmm. to have something growing in me, like, it would be bad, and <laughs> turns out that it can be really bad, mm-hmm. you know, and they have recommendations for pregnancy with beds, and they don't want to tell you not to get pregnant, but there are some serious precautions that you have to take and there are some serious risks that come along with being pregnant with feds. Mm-hmm. You know, like you have uterus rupture and artery ruptures and I'm sure that they do, I think they do C-sections.
1: That would make sense. Yeah, a because lot of they straining. don't want you
0: straining like that and yeah. putting that strain on your arteries. They think of the increased hormone levels can actually cause a higher amount of artery complications during the pregnancy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like just extra dissections and stuff yeah. like that.
1: It's an extra strain on your body. Yeah.
0: And I'm always, and I'm so small, I always avoided
1: contact sports.
0: I've never liked anything flying at my face, so anything that – I just hated it. Mm-hmm. And so all of these things that were just normal for me to avoid mm-hmm. were there, mm-hmm. and that was really, really weird when I was diagnosed. Yeah.
1: And, like, how has your diet changed? Because I know you're vegan now, mm-hmm. and you were vegan before. Yeah. But in w- between there, I think you were trying – some different things yeah
0: so I was a vegan in high school and then a vegetarian for another few years after that Mm -hmm. and when I was diagnosed with VEDS I was reading about the bowel complications that come with it which is your bowel ruptures and perforations um, and how you should really avoid constipation so let's go into poop let's do it (laughs) Let's go into it. Let's go into poo. Um So I was having a lot of problems with constipation. And I just remember stepping back and looking at the big picture and trying to remember a time when I didn't have any problems with constipation. And that was when I was a vegan. Mm-hmm. And so I, find, I just made a decision to try to figure out what food sensitivities I might have that might be contributing to constipation. Mm-hmm. So I went – I just decided mm-hmm. I'm going back to vegan. Mm-hmm. And – I pooped great. It was great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, that's where I kind of stuck with that for the most part. I did briefly go off of it for a couple months. Because
1: I remember you were trying that high sodium. That
0: was, oh man. That was what was that? That was a result of my third TIA or mini stroke. And the hospital thinking that maybe I just had what's called POTS or postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, which is something that a lot of people with Ehlers-Danlos, the hypermobile type or the classical type, I think, mm-hmm. tend to have. Mm-hmm. And that's where you're, you become tachycardic-based.
1: What's tachycardic?
0: Tachycardic is like your heart rate going out of the like, normal range.
1: Okay. Like beating too fast? Or yeah, just like-, like
0: beating too fast.
1: Yeah. Um, Weird.
0: I know. Yeah, I wasn't gonna say anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so tachycardia. So tachycardia is where your it's a heart rate that's higher. higher. I think it's higher than one hundred beats per minute or one hundred and ten beats per minute resting. I think. Don't look at your watch. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways. So anyways, back to the high sodium diet. Yes, your high sodium diet. So, it's tachycardia that's like brought on by different. Like your whole orthostatics, which is like your body managing your heart rate and everything, mm-hmm. your autonomic nervous system. I think is really what it is. Um,
1: what is autonomic? Here's I don't body. know how to define that. That's fine. <laughs> I'm just I'm just a layman trying to understand medical <laughs> terms because you know more medical terms than I think my stepmom, who's a nurse, <laughs> and I'm not lying. <laughs>
0: I think autonomic I think your autonomic I think that's the right word for it. I think your autonomic nervous system is like your management of your body's management of things like your blood pressure, your heart rate, like your Okay your normal things that you can't really control. Control. Like you can't control your heart beating. Right. You can't be like heart, I'm I'm done with you today, would you just stop? Oh, <gasps> yikes. Not without any outside interference. Yeah. Um you can't will that into existence. Right. So that based on your posture. So a lot uh-huh. of people that with when they first, like mornings tend to be really difficult for them because when they first stand up in the morning, they'll pass out. It's a common feature is that like height, your heart rate will go out of control. Your blood pressure might drop and you pass out. And it's a real struggle for people with POTS. And there's a lot of other things that come along with POTS. I think like brain fog and fatigue and just an overall crappy crappy Mm feeling so after my third mini stroke they're like well maybe you have dysautonomia which is you know dysautonomia is a blanket term for your autonomic nervous system not functioning properly and Mm -hmm. POTS is something that falls underneath that umbrella as one of the ways that is dysautonomic um is that also why you wore the compression socks? That is also why I wear the compression socks. Because the thought was that if I wore the compression socks, it would help my body from having blood pool in my, in my legs and keep my blood pressure high enough. So all that high salt diet um, and the compression socks are two major recommendations for people with POTS because it raises your blood pressure. There's also some talk about whether or not like your electrolytes are really balanced if you have POTS. Like, you can't get enough sodium. And so, you just, a lot of people benefit from high sodium diets Mm -hmm. when they have POTS. So, yeah. um, And that was real, that was a real struggle. That was really, really terrible. And I kind of came to the realization myself that I don't have that. Just like you came to the realization that you have beds. (laughs) Right. Just like I came to the realization I have beds, just like my skin cancer, it was just. I, oh, skin cancer? I had skin cancer in 2017
1: too. What a year for you. Yeah, I guess Diagnosed it was Diagnosed with huh? vets, skin cancer. Is that the year you got your uterus out?
0: No, that was this year. Last year. Last year, and it was just the tubes. The uterus is still there. <laughs> got it. <laughs> <laughs> Things are jokes. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's why I was on a high salt diet. So I got myself off of that, and I don't wear compression socks anymore. Because I never passed out. It was yeah. many strokes.
1: just just mini strokes just mini strokes in the morning yeah no big deal did fourth of july when you had the mini stroke in the afternoon change your thought process on that because beforehand did all of your mini strokes were in the morning correct all of my mini strokes were in the morning july
0: 4th was my fourth one Mm -hmm. um if we don't that was the fourth one that was consistent with this we think we had i had another one in march of 2017 Mm -hmm. it was a little bit different Mm -hmm. um the one in the afternoon, I think, was where I realized I needed to change my diet because I was trying that keto diet, yep. and it was like a high-fat diet, mm-hmm. and I had three mini-strokes while I was on that diet, and mm-hmm. that July 4th one was the third one, mm-hmm. and everybody was telling me, no, it's not your diet, it's not your diet, but I was like, I can't take a big step back at this and look at this picture mm-hmm. and believe you Yeah. that this doesn't have a factor because... I had one in December, and then I didn't have any until I switched my diet to keto, Mm -hmm. and then I had three. Yep. So it was just one of the – getting off of that and off of that high-sodium diet and the compression socks was just me being like, you guys are wrong. (laughs) As per
1: usual. (laughs) And and I am not going to limit my life like this anymore. Uh, So you have done a lot of – you've played around with a lot of different diets and – you finally settled that vegan is the one yeah. that works for you because it's poop, poop friendly. Poop friendly. <laughs> it's poop friendly for me. Lots of greens and lots of regularity. Yes, <laughs> so that's what, what I shoot for. Because okay, let's let's honestly get into poop because we were we were talking about this earlier. Yeah. How? When you go to the bathroom, you don't <laughs> you sit there and you don't strain. Yeah. And that blew my mind. <laughs> I'm not saying that I sit there and, like, blow blood vessels in my head. <laughs> but I'm saying I, I don't think I've ever thought about it. Yeah. Like, I just go. I just go to the bathroom and I do my business and I leave. and wash my hands and I leave. Yeah. And I've never had to think about it. But I've always been had fairly regular bowel movements. Like, but not, like, it just blows my mind. The yeah. not straining part because you don't want to rupture anything. Right. They don't want to rupture anything.
0: And that's paramount. So I try not to strain. I think of it as like one of the recommendations that they have is, you know, like no heavy, heavy weight lifting where you're straining mm-hmm. like that because that puts more pressure on your arteries and your vessels. Mm-hmm. And that same strain is also what comes into play, like, when you're in labor or when you're trying to go to the bathroom (laughs) and you can't. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, that kind of, like, bear down and push. Yeah. And I don't do that at all Mm -hmm. when I poop now. I just don't. If it doesn't want to come out, I'm like, well, it'll come out later when it's ready or I'll take a laxative or – I mean, that's why I really try to – just monitor it so I don't get constipated. But I'm only human, and I do cheat sometimes, mm-hmm. and it results in problems. So
1: yes. then I have to do things like – Milk magnesium. Oh, mm-hmm.
0: it's so gross.
1: <laughs> so do you want to talk about that doctor visit? Oh,
0: the one where I had 10 days' worth of backup? Yeah, that one. That one. That was hysterical. <laughs> so, like, three for three months, I think, I was having this pain in the lower left part of my abdomen. That would – it felt like I was going to rupture. is every time it came up, I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be the time that I perforate my bowels. I just feel it. I know it. And then I would try to take a step back and be like, oh, I think you're probably overreacting, Katie. I think that's, you know, calm calm yourself. It's probably something else like mm-hmm. diverticulitis or diverticulosis. Mm-hmm. So diverticulosis is when you get, like, little pockets In your, I think it's when you get little pockets that push out in your um, intestines. Mm -hmm. And diverticulitis is when those get inflamed. Oh, okay, yeah. And or infected. Mm -hmm. So it's basically inflammation of those pockets. And so I was like, well, that would be more likely, right? Like maybe that's what it is. And it's not quite so severe. Mm -hmm. So after three months of like trying a probiotic, and I was pooping two, two or three times a day, which is a lot. Just a lot. Mm-hmm. So I went to the doctor finally again. And I'm like, I really think we should get a scan of my intestines. Because I haven't had one. And I'm still having this pain. And it's been three months. Let's just make sure.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So they called me after that scan. They did a, a CT mm-hmm. of my intestines. And they called me and they said, well, only thing it showed is that you're a bit constipated. I was like, "How is that possible? When I'm pooping two or three times a day, and it's completely normal poop. There's nothing weird about this poop at all that says I'm constipated." Mm-hmm. She's like, "Okay, let me let me get back to you. Let me call. Go talk to the doctor, and mm-hmm. I'll get back to you." So she called me back, and she, said, no, she said, "There's ten days worth of backup in there." <laughs> I'm like, "What? what? Oh, okay." Okay, so that's why I'm so uncomfortable. Is that there's ten days worth of constipation in my bowels pushing on those intestinal walls, and every time I'm feeling that pain, it is because it's pushing on those intestinal walls, and my risk for a rupture is higher, and that blew my mind completely. So she suggested I go get one of those like cleansing. It's magnesium, it's some form. Of mag- it's not milk of magnesia. Okay, but. It's magnesium citrate. And oh, that's like it. it's this bubbly, gross, yeah. clear liquid that comes in all these different flavors.
1: Ooh, fun flavors. Yeah. So and too.
0: they suggested I do it over the you know, course of a day rather than all in one dose and warned me that there would be a lot. <laughs> ten days worth. Ten days worth. And there was. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so terrible. But now I'm like, I keep some of that on hand for if I really, really need it.
1: And, so, I mean, that just shows how in touch you are with your body. Like, that's you have so. always been. Yeah, so, yeah. Like, you're, like, feeling, and you're just like, I've got, I feel like I'm going to rupture but like, top. No. <laughs> no <laughs> that can't be it. No, that can't be it. It's got to be something else. And then you're like, no, that's what it is. And you're like, gosh dang
0: it. Yeah, that really, like, that was really funny to me when that happened, because I remember calling my mom and telling her, and yeah. she's just like, no one can tell you anything about your body that you don't already know.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. And I was just like, it's true. It's like somebody, I think around the same time, like I got, felt sick one morning, and it's because I had upped my dose of aspirin. I was taking it two times a day instead of one, and I took one late at night because I forgot to take it with dinner. Mm -hmm. And I woke up the next morning, and I was just like, I felt really sick to my stomach, and... I went to work and I tried to manage it, but I felt like I was going to be not like I was going to throw up, which mm-hmm. is also something I avoid. Yeah, like the plague. Yeah. Um. So, someone told me they thought I had just gotten too stressed out, and that's why I was throwing up. But really, it was that I knew it was my stomach being messed up because of the aspirin. Mm-hmm.
1: So with the straining. Um, tell me about the gym, because you love to go to the gym. I love to go to the gym. So tell me how the, how having veds changed your gym.
0: At first, it didn't at all. At first, when I got diagnosed, Mm -hmm. I kept going to the gym with the same kind of intensity that I always had. Mm -hmm. Um, I was a little bit more careful with crunches Mm -hmm. and stuff, but I would still... Jog. I would still run. I would still do weightlifting without heavy weights. Um, there were little, little things that I adjusted, but I think that the biggest change that I've experienced with exercise is that I used to really like exercising when nobody was around.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There was a little – there's was a really nice gym in my apartment complex, and I would be the only person in there at 4 o'clock in the morning exercising. And that's where my perspective, I think, changed the biggest, mm-hmm. was that my embarrassment about exercising around other people mm-hmm. no longer outweighed the potential for an emergency mm-hmm. and not being able to call 911.
1: Because I remember you used to like kayaking. I love kayaking. Yeah,
0: and I've kind of put that on hold until we figure out why I'm having mini strokes. Because mm-hmm. I don't want to have one out in the water and then have a gator come and eat me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lord of waters, you know. Lord of waters. Um, but I still enjoy that, and that's something that I still love. Yeah. So it's the, it's the. <laughs> not being around. Like that gym in particular mm-hmm. at four o'clock in the morning by myself. Mm-hmm. It was, I had more incentive to go to a gym. Yeah. Where, and at that time I didn't have an Apple watch. So I could call 911
1: for me either. Yeah. Would you recommend an Apple watch for people with beds? I think that or that's. some sort of service where they can call.
0: Yeah. From their watch. I think that that is offering me a lot of freedom. Yeah. It wasn't something I thought a whole lot about. Until I had my first mini stroke Mm -hmm. and had to crawl, I think, 15 or 20 feet to get to the phone Mm -hmm. to call 911 while I was having a mini stroke. Mm -hmm. And after that one, it took four days for me to want to shower because I didn't want to get in the shower and have something. That was, like, in my head, the shower was the one place in my apartment where I couldn't take my phone with me. Yeah. And I didn't want to have a stroke in the shower but my watch can go in the shower with me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that was like very freeing
1: mm-hmm.
0: to have that there. Um, so I would recommend it. Yeah. And the new one has the fall detection feature, which luckily hasn't come into play for me, but yeah. it's supposed to yeah. call 911 for you if you fall.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so how has beds changed how you view being by yourself and being alone?
0: I've always really enjoyed being by myself. Mm-hmm. I love my me time.
1: <laughs> Probably
0: more than anybody.
1: That I yeah, cuz I know you I know you love being by yourself. You yeah. love having your alone time. You love being able to go and just do things by yourself. Yeah. So how has that changed being cuz you can't go super far from a hospital? I can.
0: There's a risk involved. Yeah. I think that when I have a mini stroke for a little while after that, I don't do it. Like, I just actively resist mm-hmm. doing that, mm-hmm. going off by myself. But long term, it, it hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. What the biggest struggle has been with wanting to be by myself and doing things by myself is not my fear about it. Mm-hmm. It's other people's fear about it. Because people who love me get worried mm-hmm. and they don't want me to go off by myself and do things. You know, mm-hmm. they want me to constantly be surrounded by people and mm-hmm. that comes into play like in almost every aspect of my life. Mm-hmm. And as somebody who really enjoys alone time, it's hard to have that sudden expectation that I'm never gonna be alone again. Mm-hmm. And every time that I decide to, I feel like when I decide to live with somebody as a roommate or something like that, I get very, very touchy about the comments that are made. Like Mm -hmm. the assumption is that it's because I don't want to be alone or that I shouldn't be alone or that I can't be alone. Yeah. When really it's just because I want to save money. (laughs) But if I had all the money in the world. Yeah. You bet I would still live by myself. Yeah. Because you lived by yourself in Washington. I did, and it was
1: the best. (laughs) (laughs) I loved it. Yes. I love living by myself. And after having your TIAs, um, did you get a
0: roommate? I got a roommate to save money a few months after my first one. Okay. And it was legitimately... Just to save money. Just to save money. Yeah. And it was something that my, I could see that my mom was, like, suddenly relieved that I was going to have a roommate. And I was like,
1: please stop. Yeah. <laughs> I
0: love you, mom. Yeah. Please stop. That's not why I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. I know, like, when people make comments about it, it's so hard to just be, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> accepting of that's their perception of me as, as of
1: somebody who can't be alone.
0: No, that's not who I am. That's not who I am.
1: <laughs> I've got my Apple Watch and my cell phone. Got <laughs> my, I'm fine. <laughs> I've got my Apple Watch. I got my cell, I've got i got all these redundancies set up. And you have your little packet that yep. you carry around with you. I do. What is that?
0: So that's the uh, emergency booklet passport that is given to people who are diagnosed with vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome by the University of Washington.
1: Okay. There's a whole mm-hmm.
0: little packet for doctors that like, has the major things to avoid if you present with an emergency. Mm -hmm. So it it tells them the major complications that arise with vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and what they should be looking out for. It tells them, like, don't do an angiogram where you're going through blood vessels. Mm -hmm. Uh, Don't endoscopy and colonoscopy are strongly discouraged, you know, Mm -hmm. things like that. It also has sections for me to list all my medications and my doctors and how many bowel ruptures I've had and when they are, how many dissections or aneurysms I have or had and where those are, mm-hmm. um, emergency contacts, like all of that mm-hmm. is in this booklet. And you're supposed to, they recommend that you take it with you everywhere. And I do. So I fancied it up a little bit because it uh-huh. wasn't this like clear plastic uh-huh. thing that didn't look much like an emergency book and it kept tearing mm-hmm. like the laminate kept tearing yeah. and catching on my clothes and so I finally went a couple months ago and I got a uh, like a passport holder oh. with some patches like with the emergency medical symbol on it mm-hmm. and I glued those patches to both sides of it and so now it really sticks out it does. as an emergency book for sure it's like okay something is happening over there huh, I have this thing here that has an emergency medical symbol on it I wonder what that is and you have your bracelets. And I have my bracelets. So in my mind, I have prepared as well as I can for any situation. And that has been the most freeing thing for me. Mm-hmm. Because once you're prepared for the things that you can control, and, and you accept what you can't control, yeah. then you can live your life fully. I can live my life
1: fully. And I do. I live my life very fully. I'm, like, very happy the <laughs> most busy, fastest moving person I've ever met in my life. You were literally everywhere at all times. The, I don't know how you do it. Uh, and I, it just blows my mind because you do everything. You do it all. You go for a walk. So you go to the gym. You go to hang out with your friends. You, you go to dinner. You do this. You you I don't know. I don't podcast, I don't know how you read YouTube. A, YouTube, podcast, you read a book, you go to movies and I'm just like I work full time. Work full time. <laughs> and I'm just like I also work full time but and I'm in school but like also I couldn't I could never manage the schedule that you manage. And I don't know how you do it, but it is so impressive.
0: <laughs> it, it really is.
1: And I'm it's it's really nice to hear that, like, having your watch and having your bracelets and having your emergency booklet, passport, and all of that stuff has allowed you the freedom to be you. Yeah, and I think a big part of that is is the acceptance
0: of the things that you can't control. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of risk that comes with just me being... Just <laughs> I, sitting here. Yeah. You know, I talked to somebody who is... Drinking a cup of tea and dissected an artery. And that's a real possibility.
1: Yeah.
0: So there are certain limitations that I will accept, like not straining really hard at the gym. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: But I'm not going to stop (laughs) exercising or pooping. (laughs) But I'm not going to stop exercising for fear Mm -hmm. of that happening.
1: For fear of limiting your life. Like you're so positive about everything. And you're very accepting of everything. Like, I feel like you've come to terms with it, yeah, and you don't let that stop you. And because of that, you're just like, gung-ho, like, (laughs) full force ahead, like, let's
0: go. Yeah, Yeah. the hardest thing, I think, is managing other people's fear of it. Mm -hmm. Um, When I had my first mini-stroke, and I was on the ground waiting for the fire department to come, one of the it was like I called 911. I told them exactly where I was, what I needed, mm-hmm. who I, you know, everything. And I waited for them to come. And then I called my mom and I left her a voicemail and said, hey, you know, I'm having a stroke. I love you. I'll let you know. You know, like those kinds of things. Because mm-hmm. I I know that everybody worries about me. hmm And I can't take that from them. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing is like, I just want everybody to know that I'm prepared for something happening to me. Mm -hmm. I can do all of the things in the world and something bad could happen to me. And I know that and I'm okay with it. Mm -hmm. I've fully accepted it. You know, I could be taking a shower tomorrow and my artery could rupture. One of my arteries could rupture and I could bleed out before I ever get to 911. Mm -hmm. Or they could take me to the hospital and try to do surgery on me and kill me faster. You know, there's all sorts of possibilities that play into that. And I'm okay with it. Like, I've come to terms with it. My biggest fear is that other people haven't. Mm -hmm. And I don't want them to find me. In a bathroom or in the kitchen, or you know, I'm mm-hmm. someone's gonna end up finding me dead mm-hmm. or something, and they're gonna think, Oh my god, she was alone when she died, mm-hmm. and be more sad mm-hmm. that I wasn't surrounded by people I love when I die or something. Mm-hmm. And I don't want people worrying about that because I'm completely okay with it.
1: Mm-hmm
0: completely come to terms with it so I have thought about doing videos for people yeah that they can watch after I die Mm -hmm. so that they're reminded like you can miss me but don't feel bad for me Mm -hmm. because I'm happy
1: yeah so I mean and that's something that you will never be able to take away but that's and like but that's okay because like you're so okay with it. Yeah. And it's so cool to see that because I've I've never personally met someone who's so who they are and exactly who they are and they're just like this is me. <laughs> Take it or leave it. This is who I am. Yeah. And it's like <clears throat> I want to be like that. How do I? How do I become so cool with who I am? I don't even know who I am. Like, how, and like, it's inspiring. And I'm sure that everyone who's listened to this podcast or seen your videos feels the same way because you, Katie, are an inspiration <laughs> to those around you.
0: Whether I like it or not. Whether you like it or not.
1: Because I've never seen anyone who moves as fast as you and. I, It blows my mind, and I'm always impressed that you do so much, and that you are just you, and I love that. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) So, back, let's circle back to the beginning. Okay. Veds. Yes. Why is it a zebra? (laughs) Why is Beds a zebra? So, is, it, is it specifically Beds that's a zebra? Or is it all of Ehlers-Danlos that's a zebra? All of Ehlers-Danlos is a zebra. So that came
0: from a saying in, by some doctor for some medical book mm-hmm. or teaching. It's a teaching point, okay. I think, for many hospitals that are teaching, is that you when you hear hoofbeats, you're looking for a horse not a zebra because they don't want people to start immediately going to all of these rare causes
1: for oh, things
0: and but you're the zebra but you're the zebra got it so they're looking for horses mm-hmm. which are like diabetes or high blood pressure the more common things that everybody struggle can potentially struggle yeah. with um and that's how Ehlers Danlos gets missed, is that they're looking. Like with you. Yeah. They're looking for something really common. Mm-hmm. And so when you go to the doctor and you spend five minutes in the, in, the, in the office with them, they're like, oh, yeah, here's this medication for this, you know, and they you never see them again. And that's another part of the problem with Ehlers Danlos is that so many different parts of your body are affected mm-hmm. that by the time you get diagnosed, you've probably seen a multitude of doctors for different things. And nobody has taken a step back Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: looked at the whole picture. You know, why are you having chronic pain? Like, why were you diagnosed with fibromyalgia? Why do you pass out when you stand up? Um, Wow, you've had a lot of joint injuries. Why is that? They don't really... Nobody... There's not one doctor in the middle Mm -hmm. taking a step back and looking at all of that. Mm -hmm. Until you've had a whole lot of it. Yeah. And you're... You just get put into this category of like hypochondriac or something or Mm -hmm. people perceive you as that because
1: there's no big picture
0: diagnosis. Yeah. And so that's where the zebra.
1: Is it common for people with meds to sort of self-diagnose and then sort of push
0: for it? I don't think that's as common. I think that my story is a little bit different in Mm -hmm. that aspect. I know that there are other people – that have done that, mm-hmm. but most of what I've heard are people who didn't get diagnosed until they had a major emergency. So it could be like they go in with a stroke, or mm-hmm. they somebody went to go do an angiogram for Bridget, yep. who was the first person I talked to on the podcast show.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, she went in for an angiogram for carotid cavernous fistula, which is like a I think it's a bulge and your carotid artery that is behind your eye, and mm-hmm. I think that bulge starts to communicate with the vein improperly, and it causes a bunch of weird things to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was like in her early 20s, I think, and they're like, "Well, we'll just do this routine angiogram. We'll uh-huh. figure out what's going on in there, and we'll just, we'll just fix it while we're there. No big deal. I don't even think they ever got to the fistula before everything else started rupturing from the angiogram.
1: Yeah.
0: So things like that usually happen before you're diagnosed and then it's kind of too late because they've already opened you up or they've already tried to do surgery on you and now you've got all these other problems too that you didn't have before mm-hmm. and I think that's the more common
1: how does stitches work <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about that like when you're talking about have, have being opened up like have you closed your back if you've got the thin skin? It
0: could be a struggle for sure. Most of my stitches don't stay in as long as they're supposed to, or they kind of like push out. Mm-hmm. And my body just rejects them. I feel like mm-hmm. so a lot of time I've had stitches a whole lot of times in my life, mm-hmm. and most of the time I end up, especially recent as I've gotten older, it's more common I think for them to start falling out too early. Mm-hmm. I'll get butterfly bandages and reinforce them from the outside mm-hmm. because they don't. They don't do that great, (laughs) but they are common for me because my my skin is so thin that I tear easily. Like I had a cat jump off my lap and gave me 15 stitches. So,
1: and then you got a tattoo and then I got a tattoo of him
0: off of the scar,
1: (laughs) which is hilarious, but you've had issues with getting tattoos. Yeah. I had one with my Willis tattoo. Yep. Yeah. And you specifically told him right? Yes. That you have thin skin. Yep. And he was like, yeah, I got it. I got it. No <laughs> worries. And then it started bleeding? Not, um, like, bleeding, but the licked ink. The ink Bleed. bled
0: under the skin. It got into the fatty layer because he went too deep with the needle. And that was the only tattoo I've ever had a problem with is the one that I warned them about beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> so I really just should have uh, not warned them and seen what happened. Yeah. I guess. But when I went back, like, the tattoo blew out, basically. So the Went too deep into the skin and then the ink bled out underneath and caused this like, big blue tint underneath my skin. Mm-hmm. And when I went back and said, I told, I told you I had thin skin, he's like, Ah, but you know, I usually only see blood outs with older people who have like really thin skin and like
1: face palms. <laughs> like, what did I tell I feel you? Like, I literally told you. I literally told you. <laughs> said it with my words <laughs> that I have thin skin. And so, your Willis tattoo. Yeah. Who's Willis?
0: Willis is this little (laughs) cartoon character that I started drawing last year when I was in the emergency room one day. Brought a sketchbook with me, and Uh um, he is based off the diagram of the circle of Willis, which is a view of the arteries in your brain, and they use it, like, it's just in the middle Mm -hmm. of your of your head, like if you were to cut the top of your skull off and look down, mm-hmm. that's what you would see is like where all of those arteries are on the come together mm-hmm. near the top. It's like the circle of Willis. And I remember seeing a picture of it, I think, because I was looking at where my internal carotid artery was because mm-hmm. that's where I thought I had a problem in my neck or I knew I had a problem at that point mm-hmm. with an artery in there. But I wanted to know more about it. And I saw a little diagram and I was like, man, that looks like a little person. So one day in the ER I did a whole little sketch of it and I drew him as a little with a little face mm-hmm. and his own little pseudo aneurysm. <laughs> to match yours. <laughs> to match mine. His isn't a different artery than mine for artistic reasons. Liberties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's where Willis came from. So I have a little tattoo on my arm of Willis now. And uh
1: yeah. I like it. I, I, I think all of your tattoos are great. Because like I didn't know with the having the thin skin would affect that until you came back and had blowout in your tattoo. <laughs> I no idea. So let's see. What are some of the weirdest questions that you've gotten about beds?
0: So usually if you tell somebody what you have and they're not they're like putting the you usually can watch people put the dots together. Mm -hmm. You tell them about one thing, Mm -hmm. and then you can say, wait, what does that mean for this? Or what does that mean for this? And so Mm -hmm. some of the weirdest questions I've got are those, like, they're trying to understand the condition fully, Mm -hmm. and so they're asking questions like, what about when you're constipated? Mm -hmm. Because they're asking about that strain. Mm -hmm. Um, They're trying to think of Times that they strain, I think. <laughs> uh-huh. So then they're asking you about those times. And so it's usually sex and constipation. This is those are the questions that you Those are the questions that I typically get from somebody who's like, you know, obviously not in a professional environment.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, they're just like trying to trying to piece it all together for mm-hmm. what it means for my life.
1: Yeah. So on a final note, what would be your best advice for someone who's like going through this like what what did you find that made you s- or helped you become so accepting and under- understanding vets
0: hmm that's a hard thing because there are a couple different things that were that made a big difference for me the type of mind that i have is that i have to understand something as completely as I can in order to accept it. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it didn't truly raise my fear level all that much when I was reading about the different things that could happen. I certainly had moments right after diagnosis where I was just like, oh my gosh, this could happen, and that's devastating, and this Mm -hmm. could happen, and that's devastating. And it took a couple months to kind of really accept it for that. But the more I read about it, the more I try to understand it, the more comfortable I feel with it because it's not like my arteries are going to actively explode. It's that the tissues themselves are not held together well. Mm -hmm. And so they're more likely to tear Mm -hmm. on a very basic level. They're just more likely to bulge or tear Mm -hmm. and have issues. And so like once I can really understand that and understand the limitations of what I can do for risk management, then I can just, I just, that's who I am, Mm -hmm. is that I accept it Mm -hmm. for what it is. Um, So that was helpful, just getting more knowledge about it. Talking to other people who have this was also a major milestone for me. When I was first diagnosed and I was on the Ehlers-Danlos support forums, Mm -hmm. most of the people on there were dealing with joint dislocations and bowel issues and... Mm -hmm. Pots, mm-hmm. um, and those weren't things that I could really relate with mm-hmm. too much. Chronic pain, like I had pain in my neck, and but it wasn't like I have chronic joint pain for sure, mm-hmm. muscle pain. Once I was added to the VEDS support group after I got my diagnosis, diagnosis. Mm-hmm. That was like this aha moment Mm -hmm. where suddenly this entire group of people Mm -hmm. were going through the same thing I was or our family members of somebody who did Mm -hmm. or does. Um, So that has been a blessing and a curse because I have a whole group of people that I can use for questions. Mm -hmm. I can used for support. I know that as soon as I meet these people, we know each other. Mm -hmm. There's no trying to really understand. It's just you You just know that they've also coped with this diagnosis Mm -hmm. and know what it means Mm -hmm. for the most part. So that has been like, Truly a blessing to have these people in my life. Mm -hmm. But it is a bit of a curse because when you're so involved, you see when bad things happen. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So doing the podcast and doing the YouTube channel and talking to people on Facebook, people reach out to me for support when they're trying to figure out what they have. Mm -hmm. Um, They find my channel on YouTube or they find my blog or something and they use the contact me and I kind of talk them through it a little bit as Mm -hmm. I can. Mm -hmm. But it's hard. Mm -hmm. It definitely becomes hard and it can be very isolating in some ways Mm -hmm. because it's hard to get to a place of acceptance, I think, for a lot of people with it. And I guess I struggle with the fact that I have accepted it. So it can be kind of lonesome.
1: Yeah.
0: That can be very lonesome. And it can be very devastating when you see people pass away from this and you feel your community being totally rocked Mm -hmm. like the past few months has just been complete insanity yeah it's like every time i turn around it's like do you stop telling people who don't have Vets what happened
1: yeah
0: and just pretend like it's not significant when it really is Mm -hmm. it is significant because they're 19 they're 51 they're 39 they're 28, like it's just heartbreaking mm-hmm. to see this stuff. So it's been a blessing and a curse, like being part of the community. But I think that overall, having that group of people that all know what you're going through and have mm-hmm. been what are you have the same thing that has been one of the best things mm-hmm. that has come from this,
1: yeah. So And just bringing awareness to it, you're literally the biggest advocate I know for this. Like, you had us all wear red for beds. (laughs) and I was like, I don't even know what this thing is, but Katie wants me to do it. You got it. (laughs) I didn't know what it was, but I was like, sure. I don't know how wearing red's gonna help, but if it starts, it starts the ball rolling. Right. The questions start being asked, and I think that's important because. There's so many doctors that will just dismiss it, like, in your case. Yeah. Like, oh, it's so rare. There's no way. There's no way. There's no way you have this. And it's like, but what if I do? Right. <laughs> but, but what if? What if I'm a zebra? <laughs> yeah. Treat me if I was a zebra, not a horse. <laughs> I don't want to be a horse. <laughs> Look, I like stripes, okay? <laughs> but... you have stripes. But, like... You go to conferences and you speak at them and you have your YouTube channel and you have this podcast and you are helping people find the questions to ask and knowing the questions to ask. And I think that's so important because without you, I feel like a lot of people in our circle especially, and I'm sure in other people's circles, have been able to figure out what this is and then... Is now know and can now share that knowledge with other people, because it's so rare and people just don't talk about it. And I think that that's awesome. And you're awesome. Thank <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. You're looking at me like I've got two hits, but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna humble brag on you for a minute, so that's fine. <laughs> I get really awkward about about that. <laughs> about praise and comfort. Yeah. I mean, not comfort, compliments. Yeah. yeah. But, but I appreciate it. You really deserve it. Like, I'm sure that every single person that listens to this podcast or watches your YouTube channel is appreciative of you. Of you starting these conversations, even though they're hard to talk about. And having a place where people feel safe to come and talk about it. Because like you said, it's so isolating and feeling alone in this crazy condition is probably terrifying. Yeah. But then finding someone like you, who is you and you're just like, Whoa, let's go. (laughs) (laughs) And you just go. And then they're like, Oh, maybe I don't have to be afraid to like live my life like this. Yeah. And, I think that's important and you should be proud of everything that you've done. And I'm glad that you let me interview you (laughs) so that people could also hear how awesome you are Thank you. because you are. And I don't know how to end this. (laughs) Well, I'll go ahead and end it. I, I don't know how you normally end it, but I was just, I think, I think if there's anything else you want to add that you think is important, I think we touched on a majority of, who you are and kind of your story. Yeah. I think some of it's probably a little bit like
0: here and there, like mixed, but I
1: didn't think we touched on the major points. Yeah. So, and if you like this, we'll do another one. We'll do another one. Yeah. <laughs> if
0: you have follow-up questions, maybe in a couple months I'll do an extra episode. Send them to
1: episode.
0: me. <laughs> Send them to me and I'll ask them. <laughs> All right. Thank you of for course. doing this. And thank you, everybody, for listening. This is Staying Connected, and this was a bit of my story with VEDS. So if you want to follow me on YouTube, if you found this podcast not through my YouTube channel, you can go search for me on YouTube as Translucent1, and you should find me. I'll put a link to it in the description of this podcast episode go ahead and go back and listen to the other podcast episodes where I talk to other people about their story with VEDS some of the stories on here all of the stories on here are absolutely incredible some of them are heartbreaking for sure Um, all of them are heartbreaking a little bit but it's been incredible to be able to talk to these wonderful people who have this and hear their stories so this podcast is normally for other people to share their stories with VEDS this is a special episode where I share mine go ahead and subscribe to it and new episodes are coming out on the last Sunday of every month so keep on the lookout and I'll talk to you soon